Here we go. It's episode eight of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm your boy, Joe Serralo. Joining me, my man, Mackenzie Rivers. And Mackenzie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we have hit four straight best bets between the two of us. Four straight best bets. We also won a couple bonus best bets last show and the show before. And we're, we're doing fine. If you're looking for winners, you have found the right podcast. Yeah, you absolutely have. I mean, you mentioned those bonus bets. I'm 3-0 over the past two episodes. Are you 3-0 or 4-0 with those bonuses? Let me see. Pacers first quarter, Bucks first half, plus the two bonus. Yeah, 4-0. So, uh, what? 8-0. Let's go. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Hey, we've got a lot to get to tonight, and we're starting off with a major gaffe made by the sportsbooks over the weekend. Draymond Green. News broke about... I don't know, a half hour before the Warriors-Cavs game Sunday night. And of course, the major story of that game is something we'll get to shortly. It was the return of Klay Thompson. But what kind of snuck its way in there while everyone's getting ready for Klay's return is that at 8.31 p.m. Eastern time for a 9 p.m. Eastern time start, it was tweeted out by a credible source that Draymond Green was going to start the game and then be taken out early and sit the rest of the night. Well, my man, sportsbooks did not get the memo because all of a sudden, props on every under you could name for Draymond Green started coming in. Under on points, under on rebounds, under on sweat drops that hit the court off his body. I, I mean, every under you could imagine started pouring in and sportsbooks lost millions, McKenzie. You mentioned the bigger story and from a fan's perspective, from the NBA writ large perspective, yeah, Clay Thompson coming back after more than two years off was a bigger story. But if you talk to an, a Vegas advantage player, such as our own pregame.com's own Steve Fezzik, the much, much bigger story was the millions, the hands over fist cash that was available to any better that within a 10-minute window got the, got, got the word. And you mentioned uh, a reliable source. The Athletic retweeting this comment, probably most betters got it from that source because who follows the Warriors PR Twitter handle? Somebody does. But this is what the Warriors tweeted out nine minutes before tip-off at 8.51 on 8.31 on Sunday. Draymond Green will be on the court for the opening tip-off to honor Clay Thompson, but will not participate in the remainder of the game due to left calf tightness he experienced during his pregame warm-up. Now, this is like gold. This is magic from the mount of high this is the exact situation that any advantage player just starts salivating over because think about it very very often a player gets scratched late how often does a player get scratched late but is guaranteed the team's pr department is saying don't worry he'll be scratched he won't play but he'll play he'll be in the starting lineup he'll qualify as a player in the game, and thus all of his bets are live. All of his unders are live. Under seven and a half points, winner. Under eight and a half points, winner. Under eight and a half assists, winner. Here's something, though. A lot of websites out there that you guys are familiar with have same game parlays. So if you said he's going to go under everything and the Warriors are going to win, you know, just throw in a fourth uh, multiplier, Fez will call it, where it's not necessarily uh, advantage by itself, but the fact that you can throw it in to a parlay with three other confirmed winners, 
just makes it like astronomically. It's like pretty much 50-50 to win at 8-1 at that point or 10-1 to one, or 20-1. to one. So, yeah, a lot of sports books lost a lot of money. And the question is, DraftKings isn't paying anybody. DraftKings is the one sports book that's saying, uh, we're reviewing the situation. We think there might have been a insider information. It wasn't insider. It was on the public webs. Your people could have found out about it just as easily as the betters could and did. But, you know, they're looking at their bylaws. They pay lawyers a lot of money to try to save them a little bit of money, which is unfortunate. And there, but there is some conversation here in Vegas about what should be done. Uh, one person on a text chain I was on said, uh, you know, why isn't it just change the rule to has to play a minimum of 60 seconds to qualify? I don't want any rules to change. I don't, I don't see why this is uh, a catastrophe for anybody but the cockroach bookies. Yes, everyone should be allowed to use all the information at their disposal at any time to try to predict what's going to happen in these games. If the better is better at predicting it based on the information they have, then the sports book should get better at getting better information. I think it's all within the realm of fair play. Some people got some money down. Sports books are, you know, they're butthurt. That's, that's the story as far as I see it. Yeah, that, that's 1,000% the story. You know, Mackenzie, this actually reminded me of about a year ago when GameStop and AMC were going through the roof mm. and then Robin Hood said, whoa, whoa, cut the trading, cut the trading. No one's allowed to trade these from now. Well, why the hell not? Why? Because because your elites don't have the insider information that, you know, people like you and myself, the ordinary people are now dictating what the stock is doing. That's what happened in this one. The sports books want to change the rules because they, for the first time or for a rare instance, they didn't come out on top. And so now they want to alter the rules and say, oh, maybe it should be 60 seconds. No, maybe it shouldn't. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. The ordinary person, the sports better, got the sharp, got the edge, got the win. And to me, I have to say the most amazing part of this story, because this was, like you said, it was public information, right? Golden State PR tweeted the exact scenario. But what makes this even crazier is that the public was able to get out there and play it before anyone from these books went out there and got that information and took it down. I mean, how does everyone and their mother seem to see this information on Twitter, go out there and bet on this, but no executives, none of the people in charge at FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, etc. none of them saw it? That's the baffling part to me. That's the wildest part of this all. Credit where credit's due. As much as I want to give credit to any bookmaker, but... The ESPN.com profiling article of this said FanDuel removed green props from its offering minutes after the athletics report saying all these other sportsbookers were caught with their tail between their legs. But FanDuel, who may or may not have just given me $10,000 on the side, they removed Draymond Green props in the nick of time. Okay, FanDuel, good, good job by you. And by the way, you know, speaking of, I made the stock connection with Robin Hood and the whole GameStop AMC thing. You know, it's like sports betting. Of course, I'm a New Yorker and mobile sports betting this past weekend yes, sir. just finally launched Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time. We went live in New York and I'm wondering yesterday on Monday, as I'm looking at my DraftKings stock, why the hell is this stock going down? Now I know why. Because of everything that was going on with DraftKings, all the controversy surrounding this probably influenced the stock. However, just a couple of hours ago, Mackenzie, they did announce that they're going to make right on this. Anyone who took Draymond's over props is going to get a refund. Anyone who took the under props 
is going to get their payday. So DraftKings following suit, they didn't want to be the only sports book with the negative press as a result of this. So they're, they're making right. And I think as a result, I think the correlation here is pretty direct. DraftKings stock today had a pretty good day. As the NASDAQ bounced back, I'm heavily invested. It's uh hasn't been a great week. <laughs> Can't lie. As good as my bets are doing, the NASDAQ and tech stocks, and I have some DraftKings too. Uh, it's been a, it's been a, you know, hey, long-term guys, long-term focus here. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Clay Thompson, he's back. He is. He is. Came back in a pretty big way. I mean, look, he was on a pretty strict minutes restriction, but the minutes that he played, man, did he make them count. 17 points in just 20 minutes, pretty efficient from the floor, three of eight from deep, seven of 18 from the field as a whole. I, I mean, I thought he looked good. I, I thought his touch was there. I thought... You know, the biggest thing when you've got a guy who's been out a couple, you know, a couple of months, let alone a couple of years, the biggest thing is rhythm. And I thought Clay moved well. He moved well both with the ball and without the ball. He was in rhythm, in sync with the rest of his team. That to me was the most encouraging sign. Not the points, not the three of eight from beyond the arc, just the fact that he didn't look out of place. He was in sync and in rhythm with the rest of the Warriors. We said it last pod. He's a seamless player to play with. He also had probably the dunk of his career, I think, that putback, and the mead mug of his career for sure. So just as an NBA fan, first first and foremost, great to have one of the more likable guys back on one of the best teams in the league. Now, 7 for 18 isn't terribly efficient, but 3 for 7 from 3, you'll take that 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Just to add that in to a top 3 offense, it's going to be punishing. And Draymond Green didn't play the game. The, they, they held the Cavs to 82 points. And I mentioned before, when Draymond Green hadn't played, well, I guess he played a minute. So this is this is going to be one of those weird splits where you have to remember every time to put that back in there. But when he hadn't played, it had been like 9 out of 12 games had gone over. Teams were averaging 120 points against the Warriors the last two seasons in the 12 or so games that Draymond Green had missed. Clay Thompson's back. As much as anything, the mentality was there that they had 100% focus intensity, held the Cavs, a surging team to only 80 points. And I don't know if there's a better defending two guard in the league. Maybe the Kings off night, Davion Mitchell, is, is going to be that next guy, but he's a little smaller than a two guard. But who's a better two guard defender than Clay Thompson? Add that to the number one defense in the league. He looked, and he said after the game, it wasn't quite the feeling of winning a championship being back out there with his teammates, but it was darn close. I mean, it might sound like hyperbole, but I think the feeling in San Francisco, Oakland is championship mentality. And to have that final piece of the puzzle back, it feels like they're on their way. Yeah, it absolutely does. Look, I, I said it when we talked about the returns of Kyrie and Clay, you know, and, and the Nets odds really went less in favor of the better, more in favor of the book. I said that doesn't matter because Clay returning is the play. Clay is the play. With him back, the Warriors take those title odds and run with them. By the way, you mentioned him and his his two-way side of things. Right now, as we're recording this, it's almost halftime. Golden State is playing Memphis. They're down 59-48. Hasn't been a good night for the Warriors. And Clay offensively really hasn't done a whole, uh, a whole lot. He's got just four points as we're near halftime. But... Desmond Bain, the two guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, only has six. And this is a guy who, while the Grizzlies have been hot lately, 
Bain has gone off probably second to only John Morant on the Grizzlies. He's been really crucial to Memphis's hot streak. I mean, this is a team that all of a sudden is 28 and 14. That's a winning percentage of, you know, 67, winning two out of every three. Desmond Bain has played a huge part in that. Clay's doing a pretty good job tonight, shutting him down. In fact, I mentioned he's got six points, two three pointers. He just hit his second. Clay had held him to three for most of the first half. So Thompson definitely going to be really important on both sides of the ball for Golden State here down the stretch, but they've got a lot of season left. He's obviously not going to be on a minutes restriction come March, come April. Draymond will be back. I mean, he's out again tonight. The Warriors are dangerous, man. Well, if you have a Warriors ticket as I do, there is some hope. I was doing some first half, second half work, and the Warriors have the number one differential in their own performance between the first half and the second half. You could say they underperform in the first half more than any team in the league. That would be true. Or you could say they overperform in the second half more than any team in the league. They are nine points better on average than their competition just in the second half. The record scoring margin, I think it was the 96 Bulls, was 12. So they're nine points better in one half. They're almost as good with that separation as some of the great teams of all time over a whole game. You know, it's only a third of the season so far. It's probably going to regress some, but plus nine and a half is ridiculous stuff. That's why it's number one in the league. Yeah, they're also one of the best third quarter teams in NBA history, far and away the best this year. They've got more than two points of separation between themselves and any other team. So right now, down eight at the half. I mean, this game is far from over. So they're going to win by one. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it's looking like, my man. Hey, let's talk about some upcoming games, and let's throw some projections out there. We've got a busy night of Wednesday Night Hoops on ESPN, starting with my Knicks, who play host to Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Chris Steps, Porzingis, his status is up in the air for his return to MSG, but Luke is all you got to know for this one. Mackenzie, how do you see that game playing out? Well, my... Projections make it about a pick 'em. Uh, Mavericks should be about a point and a half favorite. So the fact that it comes out at two and a half, I kind of have seen this all year, and it makes sense to me. There's there's a, a ballooning effect of these lines. Betters want to bet favorites. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get value betting underdogs because another thing has happened concordantly. Totals have gone up and up and up the last ten years. So the fact that the algorithms have these dogs, slight the gaps getting slightly bigger would make sense. So there's two things going on here. Favorites are being bet and favorites are winning on average by more points. So difficult uh, matrix, speaking of concordantly, that's where I got that word, uh, different matrix, difficult matrix to navigate. Anyway, back to this particular matchup. The thing about the Mavericks is they've been winning despite the fact that Luka Doncic, since he's been back, has been terrible. First game back against the Thunder, 6 for 14. Against the Nuggets, 7 for 18. Against the Warriors, a game they won by 17 and dominated. Kind of got to have a game, 7 for 18, 8 assists, and a mm-hmm. bunch of turnovers. So Luka came in out of shape, missed a bunch of time, and now has come back and has shot 33% in four games back. Yet the Mavericks are decent. The Mavericks are fifth in the West. They're right where they want to be. What do you think? There's two ways to look at it. You could say this team doesn't have the the edge they had last year when they had the number one offense in the league. Luka is having a sophomore, junior year slump, I guess. Or you could say this team is, you know, right where we thought they'd be, fourth, fifth in the West, 
and they haven't even got they haven't even played well yet. Luca hasn't even shown what he can do yet. Which which side of that ledger do you fall on? I'm on the side where Luca's gonna heat up eventually. And, and and you know, I have an issue with the way he started the year, coming in out of shape. You know, we've bashed him, I think, plenty, maybe myself more so than you. I've been really critical of him. I think he's going to right the ship eventually. And I think what Dallas is doing without Luca really performing well is really impressive. And I think, you know, you have to give him credit to a certain extent because his presence alone really alters opposing teams' game plans. And just him being out there makes his guys better, which, you know, at the end of the day, I believe that's the role of a point guard to make your guys better. And Luca's doing that much, even though he's not scoring or shooting the ball well. You know, at the end of the day, Dallas 5-0 and since his return. You mentioned that game against OKC where he didn't necessarily perform great, but he was still pretty close to a triple-double, and his team got the win. They're also 4-1 and against the spread since his return, and they've covered four straight. They didn't cover that OKC game. They've covered every game since. You know, this one's close to a pick and the road team has had the edge in Mavs-Knicks meetings since 2014, Dallas- Five and two at MSG in their last seven. I like the Mavericks in this one to win. And, you know, with a minus one and a half to a minus two and a half point line, that means I like Dallas to cover as well. You mentioned since 2014 in a particular venue, this team has beaten that team. Different sport, but I got to say, Jags, <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars have hosted the Colts once a year since 2015. They've been an underdog in every year but one. They've won Every single year, the odds of that we calculated here at pregame, one in 20,000. So do they have their number? I'll say this. It's probably not a coincidence. Whether it's in their head or not, it's probably not a coincidence. Now, do Dallas Mavericks have it in their head that they just dominated MSG? Maybe. I think something about MSG is it has a certain feel. I mean, just the, the name of it has that box office Broadway appeal where, yeah, I could see Lucas saying, hey, you know what? I go up once a year to New York, and I win. That's what I do. If it's in their head, I mean, the New York Knicks, they face it every time. They always have a bullet, a target on their back at home. But the New York Knicks, are they a trade team? Where do they go from here? I mean, they made the playoffs for the first time in a decade last year. But now they're 11th in the East. They're just out of what would be the play-in. And I don't really see how they get a lot better. Derrick Rose is on the shelf. What do you think? I mean, you're in New York. What's the vibe of, of, of Manhattan and the tri-state area and all that? What do you make of this Knicks team? You know, they're definitely disappointing. And a lot of fans I know are really pissed. But, you know, that's how New York is, right? That, that's, that's the market. New York, Philly, there's not a lot of room for error, not a lot of margin for error in these markets. So when the Knicks come out with a season like last year, where they overperform, where they get home court in the first round of the playoffs, This year, they're expected to, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's not logical. But in the minds of their fans, they're expected to be just as good as the freaking Brooklyn Nets. And obviously, that's not the case, right? Ten teams make at least the play-in portion of the playoffs. And right now, the Knicks are 11th in the East. It's a big disappointment. But at the end of the day, they're only a game under 500. And I don't think that constitutes in the NBA as a team... That needs to sell, that needs to blow things up. Not in the Eastern Conference, at least. Maybe in the West, because a game under 500 in the West, you've got no shot. But in the East, I mean, the Knicks, in theory, if they go on a run at some point in the second half of the season, they could work their way above the play-in, right? Into the top six. That's that's not out of the question. 
they're only three games back behind the sixth seed. So I, I don't think blowing it up is an option, especially considering where they were just a year ago. I think the expectations were too high coming into the season for sure. But the Knicks are definitely a team that can make the playoffs. And I, I feel at least for one round, compete in the playoffs. You know, R.J. Barrett is really getting hot. Julius Randle needs to return to, to last season's form. And he's doing a little too much talking and a little not enough uh, scoring. But if Jules can get back, we've seen some good ball out of Kemba since he returned. And, you know, R.J. Barrett, he's going to be the number one on this team at the end of the day. Randall was great last year. It's going to be R.J. Barrett's team moving forward. So I definitely would not blow it up. There's too much talent and too much young talent. Quickly, Toppin, stay, stick with things. Stick with things for sure. I tend to agree with you. I mean, making the playoffs after not making the playoffs in a decade has to be worth $50 million to that franchise. I mean, it's a big deal to go from moribund to viable. And it brings me to Tim Tom Thibodeau because he's a two-time coach of, the, coach of the year. He won last year. He won his first year in coaching in 2011. It presents kind of a narrative. His best year ever as a coach was his first year ever as a coach. His best year in Minnesota was probably his first year, or actually it was his second year, but they made the playoffs, and Jimmy Butler asked to be traded, and they immediately tanked. Is this going to be set up where, like, yeah, Tom Thibodeau, first year in New York, was amazing, and it's done. And it immediately comes crashing down. I'm not sure, but the the trend line suggests that the New York Knicks' best year was last year, under their current situation. I mean, Tom Thibodeau knows these things as well as I do. He might be like, no, I'm going to put my foot in the ground. That's why I think, although I don't think they should blow it up. I agree with you on that. I think they should try to mix it up at least. You mentioned Julius Rando hasn't played as well as he did last year. He also didn't play anywhere close to how well he did in the regular season in the playoffs. He scored 18 points a game. 18 points a game is fine. He also had five turnovers a game last year in the playoffs as the Knicks bowed out to the Hawks in five games. But here's the shocker. He shot 29%. We actually did this for straight out of Vegas. We went the entire NBA last year. Anyone that shot anything close to what would meet the minimum, nobody shot 29%. He was the worst player in the league when it mattered most. That's why... I think you're right. I think R.J. Barrett has been showing signs. I think guys like Mitchell Robinson are still young. I think Julius Randle might, as an all-star, as a returning all-star, might be at that perfect point to sell high. That's just, you know, that's just my two cents. Not to throw, not to cast aspersions on the guy, but I just think the trend line here, the Knicks, they, they, Julius Randle played the most minutes in the league last year, and Derrick Rose was this comeback story, and all of that's gone now. I think they have to change the narrative. They have to put their foot in the ground and do something differently because as it's going, I think they'll probably just miss the playoffs this year and then they'll probably take another step backwards next year if they don't change something. That's just my two cents. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, it's not an awful take. You know, again, I wouldn't do it, but I totally understand. You know, if anything, I'm a little worried that what you're going to get back, the return on investment if you trade Julius now is actually going to be far less than it might have been in the offseason, right after last season. You know, I, I don't think the Hawks series killed his value, but I think the first half of this season is killing it. And that might worry me a little bit because I feel like, you know, if he gets hot here at the end of the year, 
you can go get more for him. Maybe next offseason than you're going to get if you do it right now. But, you know, we'll see. For me, my biggest concern about the Knicks right now is that they're not winning at MSG, right? Now, now look, they've gotten better. They've won six out of their last 10 overall. But this is a team that is 10 and 10 on the road and just 10 and 11 at home. Last year, they were 25 and 11 at home. They've already matched their loss total at home from a season ago, except they've got 15 less wins at the Garden this year. That's really concerning to me. Where's that home court advantage? You, you play in the Mecca. You play in arguably not just the most famous arena in basketball, but arguably the most famous home venue in all North American sports. And you're not taking advantage of that with the talent that they have, with the coach that they're supposed to have. Uh, that's my big issue right now. Win your damn home games. You know, I, I talk about the Mavericks coming into town uh, and being 5-2 and two at the Garden in their last seven. Well, make a statement because I'm picking Dallas in this one. So make a statement. Go out there. Defend your home court and beat Dallas. It's funny that you mentioned the Knicks were so good at home last year, and everyone mentioned how, yeah, they have a like, no one cares about the Nets. If you want to go to any playoff game, you got to go to MSG. It's raucous. They were chanting things at Trey Young. And yeah, it was a memorable, raucous crowd. And now they're 500 at home. like, <laughs> And the Nets are also very, very bad against expectations at home. So it seems to me that the Knicks are still the more popular team of the two, but there's just a lot less buzz than there was last year. Yeah, well, how about the Brooklyn Nets? 11-10 and 10 straight up at home. Not against the spread. The 25-14 and 14 Nets at home are just 11-10 and 10 straight up. And against the spread at home, 4 16 and one. They're a joke at the Barclays Center. I mean, I mean, even worse than the Knicks. The Knicks at home against the spread are nine and 12. That's pretty close to their 10 and 11 straight up record. Brooklyn is not playing good ball at home. And you can't even blame that on Kyrie not being able to play at home because Kyrie's only played what? One, two games all season now. Yep. I mean, it's not like there's a, a sample size there that you can say, oh, well, when Kyrie plays, they're this. When he doesn't, they're that. No, they've just stunk at home all year. They've already lost more games this year than they did last year at home. They were 28-8 and eight last year. As you mentioned, 11-10. and 10. Not good. Not good at all. But, hey, let's talk about the Nets because that's the other game, the, the doubleheader on ESPN, Knicks-Mavs, Nets-Bulls, the Brooklyn Nets against McKenzie's Chicago Bulls. Mackenzie, I know you can't wait for this game. Yes, I love it. I love what's going down in here. And you mentioned the Nets' home road splits. Well, I think they might get exacerbated. I think the Nets have good reason to try more on the road. Think about it. The NBA regular season, yes, it's for seeding, but it's not like the NFL playoffs, NFL regular season, where every game matters and it's life or death and you're trying to just get over the hump to get into the dance. In the NBA, you know who's in the dance pretty much day one. It's about preparing those moves, those dance moves on the floor, when it actually matters in the spring. Therefore, Nets home games are practices with some of their best players chilling on the other side of, on the other side of campus. They're not there. The road games are where the Nets will prove themselves. They're 14-4. and four away from Barclays Center, and now they actually get their full complement of players available for road games, question mark. This is my best bet. 
I've been cluing you in a little bit, but this is my best bet. I like the Brooklyn Nets plus four with the caveat that I love this bet. If James Harden plays, he's currently questionable. T leaves tell me that he is likely to play. And I like this bet. I think it's a decent bet if he doesn't play. So I make the bet now, but I'm saying if you get word that Harden's in, it raises a star in my book. I love it. The Nets have played 15 games with their big three all intact. They're 12 and three straight up. They're 10 and five against the number. And this will be the very first time that the Brooklyn Nets have their big three together, again with the caveat that Harden is questionable with a knee. I think he plays. The very first time the big three are together and they're underdogs. Greatest compilation of guard talent we've ever seen. And they're underdogs to DeMar DeRozan in the United Center and the Bulls. I don't buy it. I know the Bulls have been good. I know the war, I know the Nets haven't had those reps together, that they're not going to be 100% flowing. I mean, they just lost in Portland a team without Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum. So, but that that makes me like it more. The fact that they got kicked recently. Harden wasn't there, but yeah, Kyrie had his first loss of the season. Now they're in my home city. They're in Chicago. The only time this, this was close, the big three at L.A. Clippers with Kawhi Leonard were only minus one. Okay, now the big three are in Chicago with nobody close to the conversation of Kawhi Leonard's ability. DeMar DeRozan having a great year. MVP candidate, no doubt. He's not Kawhi Leonard. There's no way. There's no way, in my opinion, these Chicago Bulls, as hot as they have been, should be favored against the big three altogether. 12-3 and three straight up, 10-5 and five against the spread, and 0-0 zero and zero as an underdog because they've never been an underdog. Now they are. I like them. Plus the four. If Harden doesn't play, yeah, probably end up being about, probably won't even change that much, maybe four and a half. It'll be around this number. But if he does play, wrong team favorite, WTF game, Brooklyn Nets best bet at the United Center. Man, these are two really cold teams against the spread. I mean, the, the Brooklyn Nets have not covered in seven straight games. And, and one thing I want to say, because you mentioned how the big three are 12 and three straight up together, 10 and five against the spread. Just a reminder, and we talked about this in the last episode, that should be 11 and four against the spread. Indiana had that uncontested layup with three seconds left that turned a 10 point game into an eight point game when the Nets were favored by eight and a half. So, you know, you mentioned the trends with Draymond earlier and how that goes as a game played, even though he played seven seconds, similar situation here when it comes to trends, but the Nets have not covered in seven straight and that Portland game. They got whooped. I mean, the Blazers starting backcourt of McLemore and Anthony Simmons, who all of a sudden looks like an all-star, outscored the Brooklyn Nets starting backcourt 43-26. to And again, there was no Harden, but still. I mean, the Nets to me, and this is a reason that I don't like them in the long term, in the postseason, they don't have depth. You know, if Harden goes down like he did last year, if Irving goes down like he's been known to do in the past, DeAndre Bembry is going to go out there and, you know, practically put up a goose egg. Four points as the starter in Portland. Meanwhile, you've got Simmons and Ben McLemore looking like Lillard and McCollum never left. I mean, the Nets are scaring me, man. It's I'm hoping you're right on this one because the Bulls have been equally as bad as of late, just covering one out of their last five. 
But yeah, these are these are two teams that even though they're atop the Eastern Conference standings, they are definitely not hot teams as of late. A fact which I don't mind, and I've actually been uh, one of my factors that I've been pretty successful with this season is when a team has a streak of not covering the spread, but in my opinion, it hasn't been because they've underperformed, then I have two things in my advantage. I have one, one the public is off them because they don't like, they like to bet, they like to get hot and they like to keep riding. Secondly, the team has motivation to try to correct and try to have a statement game, you know, a long 82 game season. If you've underperformed five games in a row, you're like, man, forget this. We're going to show up tonight and make a statement. The Utah Jazz had won four out of six games, but somehow had gone 0-6 against the spread, and they were only catching six at Portland. That was my biggest bet so far this season. One of those three-star bombs, you can catch me out at pregame.com. Up to 9-1 and one now. Now, that's unsustainable, I got to say. My goal is not to hit 90% of my three-star plays, but 9-1 and one on three stars at pregame.com. Check me out. And the logic was simple. The Jazz aren't any worse. The Nets aren't any worse because of that last second shot against the Pacers. But all the money that would have been people going back to the well, yeah, I'm going to bet the Nets again, I just cashed with them, is not there. Less money on my side means a cheaper price. That's why we're getting plus four right now on the Brooklyn Nets. Let's move over to your best bet. What do we got? I mean, you're 4-0, and 5-2 and two on the season, ripping and running. The people are excited. What you got for them? 5-2 and two for the young blood. Let's get into it. I'm going with the same team I took for my last best bet. We're back to the LA Lakers. This time, they're headed to Sacktown, and they're only giving a point and a half, my man. Look, this is all about LeBron James, the king, King James, the best basketball player to ever lace him up. I know you hate me for saying it, man, <laughs> but he's averaging 34 and a half points per game in his last 10 to go with over nine rebounds per game and over six assists per game. By the way, those nine rebounds per game, what's the significance there? Well, he was only averaging about six and a half, seven boards per game at the time Anthony Davis went down. LeBron has stepped up. He's been playing his best basketball of the season when his team has needed him the most. It's what he always does. And right now, the Lakers are hot. They've won five out of seven. They've covered in five out of seven. In fact, in their last seven games, the only team that they haven't been able to beat is a little team known as the Memphis Grizzlies that is one of the hottest teams in the NBA. So the Lakers are running over everyone, not named the Memphis Grizzlies right now. They had a late cover against Sacramento the last time these two teams met. I don't think this game is going to be that close. I think the Lakers can win this one by double digits and just blow it open in Sacktown. Minus one and a half, Lakers. That's my best bet. I do not mind it at all. You mentioned LeBron. He is. Magic Johnson said it. Who's played better than him over the last two weeks? I could name a couple people, but he's very, he's been very, very good, and he deserves his flowers for doing that. And I love the fact that we have a road team here that with no no home team, no home crowd to fight against. If anything, if I live in Sacramento, maybe once a year I want to go see the Lakers and LeBron James play. No cowbells in Sacramento right now. There's no kind of fervor. They fired their coach month month or so back. So the fact that I'm getting, I was just a six-point favorite, seven-point favorite at home, and now it's going to be closer to pick them or maybe Lakers minus two, I don't think there's a four-point adjustment with a lot of teams there are. With this particular matchup, I don't think it's any harder for the Lakers, maybe a little bit, 
maybe a point, maybe a point or two, to win in Sacramento in a game they must have because they got to turn their season around. Not a difficult place to play at all. So the fact that you're, that's why I like playing road teams because a lot of these times I don't think it's a disadvantage, even though the market will always price it in as if it is. So don't mind that at all. Let's keep it rolling. Yeah, the market factors it in, but McKenzie, let's be honest here. There's going to be more Lakers fans in attendance than Kings fans for this one because like you mentioned, all those Lakers fans living in Northern Cali, this is their chance. They only get two chances a year to go see the Lakers play at Sacramento. It's a cheaper ticket. It's more convenient for the ones in Northern California. Lakers, as long as they're in the state of California, with the exception of taking a trip to the Bay Area to play Golden State, I think the Lakers have home court against the Clippers and against the Kings. Minus one and a half, I'll take this one all the way up to minus two and a half, even minus three. That's how confident I am in the LA Lakers. McKenzie, let's make it six and oh over three episodes on our best bets. God, man, if you include bonus bets, I don't even know how good we'll be if we hit both of these. Let's do it. Let's keep it rolling. Go make some money, guys.